sermon series during the month of May, and their sermon series is on um, the book of Malachi. It's a short book, and it's the last book in the Old Testament. It's four chapters, and so we're going to be looking at a chapter each week. And I'd encourage you, in preparation for this, to be reading through the book of Malachi. It's really short, and it's easy for you to do. Um, but I want to give a little disclaimer here, and it's this. God has some incredibly harsh things to say to the people back in Malachi's day. But the harshest things he has to say are to the religious leaders. So this is definitely one where I am preaching to myself. So just understand that. But I want us, to, as we look at the book of Malachi, I want us to be reminded of a promise of God, and it's from Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 7, where God says, I mean, the Apostle Paul says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. When I first got into ministry, I was uh, working at Princeton Alliance Church in Princeton, New Jersey, and I was helping out with the youth program there. And I remember we were trying to get some couches for the youth room. And I went to the pastor and I suggested that we ask people from the church to, if they were throwing out any couches, to bring them to church for the youth room. And he said passionately, no. He goes, we don't want people bringing their junk to church. People need to bring their best, not their leftovers. What are we bringing to God? Our best or our leftovers? And the four short chapters in Malachi has an explicit message to God's people that is as literally important today as it was over 2,400 years ago. And the book of Malachi is a serious wake-up call to God's people who have become complacent in their relationship with God. And Malachi deals with love, God's love and judgment, proper worship, marriage, divorce, adultery, sacrificial giving. And the focus is on knowing God properly rather than reforming our behavior. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about having a relationship with God and understanding who God is. And if we focus on knowing God, we will end up living transformed lives that glorify God. Now, before I get into the particulars of Malachi chapter 1, I want us to be reminded of the context. The children of Israel have been in captivity in Babylon, and they have been um, come back into land. It's in the 400s B.C. Malachi means my messenger. That's what the name means. And so he's writing to the children of Israel who are now returned from Babylon. Babylon, the most powerful place in the world at that time, and now they're coming back into Israel And Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed, and they're rebuilding the temple, they're reestablishing 
worship to God. And externally, now everything seems okay. But inwardly, there was a cancer of complacency that ate away at their commitment to God. Malachi is the final prophet before John the Baptist comes. In fact, John the Baptist might be considered the last prophet of the Old Testament announcing the coming of the Messiah. And so the form of Malachi is basically a dialogue between God and the people. And he begins by saying, I have loved you. So let's look at Malachi chapter 1. It says, An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? There's the first problem. If God says he's loved us and we go, how? Okay. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountain into a wasteland and have left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may rebuild, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. And so basically, God is saying to the children of Israel, I have loved you, and you don't even recognize how I have loved you. And then he goes on and says that the people are not honoring God in their worship, and especially the religious leaders. They are not worshiping God properly. And they are started to think that worshiping God is futile and a waste of time. Years ago, Henry Ward Beecher was one of the most famous preachers in America, and people would come from all over the country to hear Henry Ward Beecher preach. And one Sunday, there was a guest preacher. Henry Ward Beecher was sick and couldn't preach. And so this guest preacher gets up to preach, and when people realize that Henry Ward Beecher is not there, they get up and start to walk out. And the preacher goes, May I have your attention? All those who came this morning to worship Henry Ward Beecher may leave. And all of those who came to worship God may stay. What are we doing in worship? We all come to worship for many different reasons, but there is only one that is acceptable, and it is to give honor and praise to God. Worship is not an attempt to entertain worshipers or manipulate your emotions, their minds, or your hearts, but rather it is to focus on God and to honor Him. But here's what was happening when the people were coming to worship God. People were supposed to bring offerings to God. Back then it was animals and the like. But people were bringing their throwaways, their throwaway animals. They were bringing the lame, the blind, and blind animals as sacrifices. So listen to verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am the master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Will you place defiled foods on my altar? But you ask, how have we defiled you? 
by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is this not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires in my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations." So Malachi reminds the people, three standards when sacrificing to God. The first is, give God your best. The second is, give to God first. And the third is, give what costs you. Give God your best. Think about this, do we give God our best energy? When I spend an hour watching the evening news or I spend a couple hours watching a movie and then I give God five minutes before I fall asleep and read a short passage from the Bible, am I giving God my best? We bring our best energies, our best talents, our best thinking to our careers and that is a form of worship and when we serve the church, when we serve God, when we serve the needy and the oppressed we need to bring that same energy, or are we giving God our leftovers? When we spend a lot of money on ourselves and give God what is left over, are we giving God our best? For me, often I had this idea that uh, God was this old grandfatherly image, thinking that he was just happy with whatever I brought. He would say, oh, thanks so much. But in fact, God is saying, now plead with God. This is verse 9. Now plead with God to be gracious to you. With such offerings from your hand, will he accept you? Basically saying, you're asking me for a favor, but this is what you bring? Think about this when we have a food drive. And I am just as guilty as everyone else. So understand who I'm talking to here. When we have a food drive... Do we go out and get the best for the poor and needy, or do we go through our cupboards and get rid of the stuff we were going to throw away anyways? Now, I want to commend you as a congregation. Don't get big heads for this, but I want to commend you that you have done well in this area. 
You support the outreach ministries of our church. You give your best. You give to the needy your best. And you support missionaries here and around the world. Well done. But we can never become complacent with that. Something happened last week. Well, actually, it's happened over the last couple weeks and months. And we got a letter this week, and I want Tracy to come and share it with you. Hey everyone, as many of you know, we had a young man living behind the church for the last couple weeks. He was homeless, um, and I'm not going to name names, but you know who you are. A lot of you reached out to him and showed him a lot of love, and last Sunday he came into church, and he, his life was changed, and it was changed by you, and this is what he wrote. Thank you so much for being kind, understanding, and treating me like a human being. I'm leaving for my hometown in the morning. I want you to know this church has restored my faith in a lot of different areas in my life, and I am forever grateful for having met you. For what it's worth, I very much enjoyed sleeping behind the church. This is the most heartwarming place I have ever invested my time in. I would very much love to stay in contact. Love, Devin. water, the people who would come and bring water for you, just treating them like a human being. You guys touched a life, and we just wanted to share that with you. But we can never become complacent and rest on what we've done in the past. And so the next point is give to God first. Don't give to God what is left over. God is not to be an afterthought. He is to be our priority. This, though, is a matter of trust. Do we really trust God? Do we, and if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and understand all that God has done for us through Jesus, and we don't understand God's grace and his mercy, then giving to God of our time, our talents, and our treasures will be a burden and not a joy. If you don't have a relationship and understand all that God has done for us, we're just doing religion, and it's a burden. God wants us to have a relationship, not a religion. But do you trust God? Do you know that he loves you more than you love yourself? Do you know that he has a plan that is better for you than your plan for yourself? Do you trust and know that God wants the best for you? If you do trust him, then giving and serving will never be a burden. And we won't question what we should bring. We'll bring our all. And so the third thing, point is, give to God what costs us. Giving should be sacrificial. It should cost us. And there's a great story in the life of King David who, that illustrates this point. King David wanted to sacrifice um, to God. And so he went to buy a man's threshing floor to build an altar to the Lord. And this story is recorded for us in 2 Samuel let me read this, verse 18. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. So David went up, and as the Lord had commanded, through Gad. 
When Aranah looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. He said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague of the people may be stopped. Aranah said to David, Let my lord and king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offerings, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Aranah gives all this to the king. He also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord what costs me nothing. The quality of our worship is in direct proportion to our concept of God. And God's charge against the religious leaders of Malachi's day was that they were despising his name. But what was their concept of God? They thought that worshiping the Lord was futile. And they had forgot all that God had done for them in the past. And the more we know about God, the more we know about Jesus, the more we know about the Holy Spirit indwelling us and empowering us to live the lives he wants us to live now, the more we understand it is in direct relationship to our worship. But remember, worship is not what we just do here on Sunday mornings. Worship is what you do when you leave. When you leave. It is what happens when you come across the poor and the needy and the oppressed how we treat widows and orphans, how we treat our parents, how we treat our spouse, our employers, or our, or our, our employees. We are to live our lives in response to all that God has done for us each and every moment of every day. It's all worship to God. And the charge against the people in Malachi's day were that they were not bringing their best to God. They thought that God hadn't given them their best, his best. And their hearts weren't fully dedicated to God. And as you go through the rest of Malachi and you read it, we'll realize that God says, if you will return to me with your whole hearts, if you'll turn and remember all the blessings of God, I will bless you in ways that you could never imagine. And there's some great benefits. We will receive cleansing for our sins. And our worship will provide an opportunity for us to receive that forgiveness. We will, be, we will engage God's power for our weaknesses. And our worship will allow us to tap into God's strength as we give him more and more of ourselves. And we will receive peace for our anxieties. And worship will allow us to be comforted by our God. And when you think of it, worship is not for God's benefit, it's for ours. And if you leave this church today with your faith stronger, your hope brighter, your love deeper, and your sympathies broadened, your heart purer, and your will more resolute to do the will of God, then you have truly worshipped God today. But remember this, the children of Israel, they had been in exile, they had been in Babylon, and they had been brought back into Israel, the promised land. And the temple had been rebuilt. The city had been rebuilt. And they had seen God at work. 
But then they forgot. And they fell into spiritual lethargy. They fell into religiosity and to dead rituals. And if it happened to them, it can happen to us. Let us never take for granted. Let us never take for granted or show contempt for what God has done for us. Instead, let's heed the warning from the book of Malachi and return to God with our whole hearts. And that brings us to communion. Now the question for all of this is why? Why are we to do this? It is because of this. God gave us his best. He did not give us a blemished sacrifice. He gave us his best in his one and only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He gave us his best. And so when we return to God in worship, we should recognize that. I'm going to ask my very good friend, John Bosick. Um, John is, was a pastor in uh, Scottsdale to come up and, and serve communion with me. John and I went to college together. I met John in 1984 at Wheaton College, and I knew right away that we were going to be best friends for a long time. I came here, and one of the reasons I'm here is because of John, because when I was interviewing here, I went out for breakfast with him up at Mimi's Cafe, and I said, what do you think? And he goes, I sense that God is calling you here. And then we went out and played golf. <laughs> <laughs> but I, he, he said that. And we've been friends. He's a pastor out in California now. I move here and he leaves, so um, I forgive you. Um, <laughs> But it is a privilege to be able to serve together. And I am thankful for you. And I am thankful for you. But I am thankful most of all for Jesus. That unites us together. God gave us his best. We should return our best to him. And so today we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper together. This is a joyful feast of the people of God all over the world. And many will come from east and west and north and south and sit at the table in the kingdom of God. This is the Lord's table, and he invites us to partake. And so come to the sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come not to testify that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love the Lord Jesus and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. 